But today is that time in between times where we finish the series or we're waiting for a new series to start. And so the, um, so the, the ask is just preach what's on your heart, Chris. <laughs> yeah, you see where it's dangerous now, right? Because you're like, I know Chris. He's got weird stuff going on up there. I don't know what's going. And so uh, this has been on my heart for a while. And, and I want to be careful with the phrase, you know, God gave this to me or the Lord wants me to. Because lots of people use the Holy Spirit as an excuse just to do whatever they want to do. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Like we use that phrase often like, well, God laid it on my heart to uh, uh, spend all my money on firearms. <laughs> I'm not sure, God, well, I don't, what do I know? I don't know. So, so I just want to be careful with that. But, but uh, given where we've been the last number of weeks, where I've been, just what's been going on personally, the things I'm thinking through, I don't know. I, I think there's something to this. I think this is where, and this is where we're going this morning. So um, I, I'm trusting it's from the Lord. I'm pretty sure that it is. And I just want to say up front, that today is uh, less instruction and hopefully more inspiration. So if you're if you're looking for like a how-to, that's probably not this morning. Um, you could Google it or something and find some great talk later. But really this morning, you're just going to get kind of what God's brewing uh, in, in my world, in my brain, in my heart, and some of the conversations with friends. Uh, you and I have probably had these conversations um, if we've sat and talked or been together at all in the last six months, because this is the stuff that's just, that's just brewing inside my my head. And this is where we start. Uh, years and years ago, I was interviewing at a church, like 20-something years ago. I was just getting into ministry, and uh, I interviewed at a church, and uh, it was pretty funny because real quick, uh, the church uh, pastors that I was talking with, they, they kind of were like, I don't think you're the guy, and it was funny because I was like, I don't think I'm the guy, and the rest of the interview was awesome because like there was no pressure, right? We were just like hanging out, having lunch, free meal and stuff. I was like, this is great. And so in that time, this, this, this old-time pastor, uh, we were just chatting, and he said, um, you, you know, Chris, honestly, I, I could be on my deathbed and die happy hearing that I was a failure as a pastor. This guy had been in ministry for like 20-something years, you know, and, and like he had another 20 to go, and he was very effective, and his church was growing, and it was just like he was doing good things. He's like, I could die happy hearing that I was a failure as a pastor. He says, but I could never die happy hearing that I was a failure as a father or a husband. And, and it's, it's interesting the things that stick with us, you know, because lots of people say lots of things to people all the time. It's just interesting the things that stick because that stuck with me for 20-something years. The, the idea being that this, this role of a father or husband is so much more important than any other role we play. It's like ministry is important to me. Like, I think God's called me to it. I want to be faithful with it. I want to do it well. I want to honor God in the process. I want to be uh, uh, honest to my calling and these kinds of things. I don't want to take that lightly. But it, it runs <laughs> a serious second or third place to these other roles in my life, to this concept of, of being a man. And so honestly, what I want to do in the next 20 minutes is I just want to speak to the men. And, and hopefully uh, blow the trumpet call and, and, and inspire us and, and remind us and maybe it's a challenge or maybe it's a confirmation to, to step up into the role that God has called us into in a culture that's really difficult to do that in. And, and ladies, hang with me because I got stuff for you, I think, in there. And that's not like take notes so you can get your man later type of thing. Like, it's just, but I think there's something for us all in this. And if you're here this morning, I don't think that's an accident. I think there's a reason for that. And if you're here this morning and you're a guy, but you're not married, you're not a dad, maybe you're like 12 or something, you're like, that ain't, that ain't ever happening. Or, you know, it's way down the road. Like, like hang with me because it, wherever you're at in your world, if you're a guy, I think you're called to lead. 
I just think that that's, that's true, and I'll try to make a case a little bit for that this morning. So wherever you're at. But I do want to zero in on husbands and fathers. And so you'll hear me dive into that, but guys that aren't husbands or aren't fathers yet or ever, if that's not your trajectory, just, just hear this and translate it into your own world. The, the end of where I'm going to get to, just to tell you now, because we're guys, and guys, we tend to tune out and then come back in, and I get that, all right? So where I'm going at the end is this right here. Men, lead your families. Like that, there you go. If you want to get up and leave now, this is your opportunity. Don't do it. I'd be so sad. I'd probably cry. Uh, uh, the idea of leading your families, man, step up. And, and I hear this, uh, hear this from me. Abdicating leadership to your wife is not the same as leading. Uh, we use phrases sometimes in man world like, I just do what she tells me. And that's funny joke, sort of, not really, because too often it's true. Right? And unfortunately, a lot of times, it's how men in our contemporary culture uh, choose to, to lead. Here's, here's the history, at least the, according to Chris, the way that I see it and congeal it and, and sort of run it into a 30-second process. If we think back into like the 1930s and 40s, and we could debate dates, and that's okay, but somewhere in that, those generations, and we're speaking in huge stereotypes and massive generalizations, it tended to be a male-dominated culture. Social and culture norms tended to lead towards male dominance. And often this went to what I'd call stupid lengths and landed in places like uh, sh- chauvinism or inequality, offensive, abusive men, lots of things. Right? So a feminist movement rose up. Some would say it's the second feminist, potentially the third feminist movement. We can debate that. But another feminist movement rose up and fought for some really good Great, important things in terms of equality and women's rights. And, and I, I think that we should be cautious if we ever try to put down movements that fight for equality. Those are important things. But like, uh, and it supercharged the conversation in some really good and healthy ways. But like most movements, movements tend to swing to extremes. Like you're here for a season and we could have this conversation in lots of areas of life and a group of people say, well, this isn't, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And so there's a movement that swings it and there's, there's some right place in the middle and most movements swing to another side. And I would submit that, that that's what's happened in our culture, that those movements have pendulum to an extreme and potentially unhealthy other side. And so we're 50, 60 years later and that pendulum has swung into a culture where men are largely lost. We don't, we don't know, <laughs> period, new paragraph. We, we don't know what it means to be a man. We don't know what we're supposed to do or not supposed to do. Uh, we, we just don't seem to have a clue. Not all men. Some guys are figuring this out. Praise God for that. But I, I, I would submit, based on my experience and the guys that I've spent time with, a lot of us are lost and we just don't have a clue. Now, now hear me, uh, I, I need this to say this, that I'm a huge fan of women, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of women. I live with three strong, independent, intelligent, amazing women. Matter of fact, I was just talking with a buddy the other day who was raising daughters as well. We were talking about the fact that we want to raise our daughters in such a way that they are strong and independent. That, that, like, that's what I want. I, and I think we're doing a good job at it. The proof's in the pudding. We'll find out in the next few years here, right, as our girls get grown and gone kind of thing. But we want that. We want to raise, and I'm a fan of that. So if you hear chauvinism this morning, that is not my heart. That's either bad word choice on my part, and I apologize, or that's something you wanted to hear. And, and so I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, huge fan of women. But we do exist, and I think the reality is we exist, in a culture where men 
are lost. We don't know what it means. We don't know if we're allowed to be a man. And so it's resulted in two extremes. One side is this incredibly passive man, disengaged, withdrawn, minimized, taking a backseat to everything. An incredibly passive man. My hunch is you know guys like that in your world. You're thinking of uh, a guy or some guys right now. Always seem to be checked out. The favorite phrase is, oh, whatever, what, whatever, whatever, right? Very passive. The other extreme that's equally as unhealthy is, is some men have moved into a sort of a, a return of chauvinism or a macho male extreme, disgusting dominance, an overblown stereotype of manhood. And very few seem to find that right, middle's not the right phrase, balance isn't the right phrase, but the right place of what it means to be a man. You don't have to agree with all that. But I do think that we would agree that we live in a culture largely void of true male leadership, the kind that both men and women can look at and respect and appreciate. In essence, men have largely abdicated their God-given responsibility away. It's interesting because it didn't work well for Adam. Remember Adam, that very first guy that was created? He did the same thing. And I want to take a look at that this morning because I think, and I know I go to Genesis chapters 1 through 3 a ton, but there's just so much there. And, and why go other places before we understand what it was supposed to be and what it becomes? So if you have a Bible, Genesis chapter 2 is where I want to start. Some verses will pull up on the screen. Um, if you have the app, I think that we've got some notes in there for you this morning. But you have probably heard this story before. If you've been around North Point for a couple of years, you've heard us talk about it before. This is super interesting what goes on here. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15. And understand, just the background, God created everything. There was nothing God created everything from little birdies to little puppies to little trees and whatever, and it's all great and stuff like that. Okay, so then God creates uh, uh, man, and this is what it says in verse 15. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So Adam had a clear purpose, right? There's another section that tells us a little more about that and what that looks like, but it's really this idea of, of, of taking responsibility for the world around him. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Seems pretty simple, right? There's one tree, it's poisonous, don't eat it. Okay, simple enough, right? Everything else is all yours, great. And the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. That's a big phrase, because everything else that God made at the end, he said, it's good. This is the only thing that he said intentionally. I've created it to not be completely good, because I'm going to do something really cool here in a minute. So it says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to create a helper suitable for him. So God does this thing where he has Adam name all the animals, like all the animals come up, and Adam's like, giraffe, hippopotamus, whatever, right? Uh, And I think the whole point of that was so that God could show Adam, because dudes are visual, (laughs) amen? I got three guys with me. And so, and so, uh, 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 that, that nothing there was like him. Like, he's looking at the giraffe and he's like, nope, not like me. And he's looking at the chipmunk. He's like, definitely not like me. And so, and so he prays all these animals and Adam does this. And so then we get to verse 21. It says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was deep sleeping, he took, God took one of the man's ribs and then closed the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, it's like the first poem, says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And she should be called woman for she was taken out of man. And this is why man leaves his father and mother and united to his wife. Super strange verse because there was no moms or dads yet, but that's a different sermon. And then they became one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Don't get caught up on the naked. Get caught up on the no shame, 
Right? This was the world that was created. Adam and Eve perfectly matched for each other. Like all the animals were created because God spoke them into existence and God did a special creation for man because he wanted man to understand that he was special. And then he waited to make sure man understood that there was something not quite complete. And then he created something even more special, woman that was designed perfectly for man so they'd have this cool opportunity together to be responsible and be in the garden and, and they're caretaking it and they're eating it except from the poison tree and it's all great and they just weren't ashamed at all. It was like this great, 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 I don't know how many more greats to put in there, thing, right? Like we want to feel that. We want to feel that because I know some of you know what's going to happen next and sometimes we get to the next too quickly without feeling how great it was. No shame. They're just doing it. They're doing stuff. They're just doing it. No shame. It was great. And then we get to chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty, crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you'll die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. You're picturing this, right? I know that's a little weird, like serpents talking to the woman, and she's like not freaked out by that. She's like, oh, cool, you know. But he's not lying to her, and we get the sense that the serpent is somehow representative of the devil, whether it's the devil or just, I don't know, an animal or the devil speaking. To, I don't know how it works. But the idea that he doesn't really lie to her, he just twists. He just twists truth into something that's not quite truth. That's like what the devil does. He's like a genius, right? There's no point in lying if you can just twist the truth a bit. And Eve begins to buy into this, and so she sees that the fruit is, is good, but not just that it looks good to eat, but that it's desirable for being better. Be- better? Better than, like, you were perfect. Like, you're just doing this garden thing, and it was good, and it's like, there's no shame. And like, and like this moment, you're like, Eve's like, oh, I could be like God. I could be like God. That would be better, wouldn't it? Because right now, I'm just this perfect human in a perfect place doing perfect things with your perfect husband. And you're with me, right? And so she sees it as desirable for gaining wisdom over God. And so she eats. Now, the the question here, and I think you saw the question here is, uh, where's Adam? It's always weird in a sermon when the guy at friends asks a question, and you go like, am I supposed to answer? I don't know. Is it verbal or not? It's cool either way. Where's Adam? Like, we get this picture, right? We get the picture. It tells us down in the end there, verse, um, whatever that is, six, seven, something like that, six. It says, uh, she also gave some. She eats. It says, she gave some to her husband who was with her. We see that? Adam's with her. It's not like she had to go off and find him because he was out, like, you know, doing tree repair or something. He's right there with her. This whole conversation seems to happen with Adam right there with her. She's having a long dialogue with a talking animal in the middle of a perfect garden where that thing is beginning to twist what God actually said and cause some doubt and some thing. And she's beginning to think things that aren't true or good or holy. And Adam is simply what? With her. Is that big enough for... I'll make it bigger for the back. I don't know what Adam's doing. 
Right? I, I had a friend back in school, back in the day, uh, we'd go to a movie, and, um, and uh, whenever we go to the movie, this, this person, um, cultural upbringing or whatever, real loud, and would interact with the movie. Do you know people like that? You ever seen people like that? So if you'd go watch those thriller type movies, where like, you know, they hear that noise upstairs, and they start walking up the stairs to investigate the noise, my friend would be like, do not go up there! Uh-uh! Don't do it! Don't you do it! Don't! Like, they'd just start getting into it, and they go upstairs, you know, in the movie, and they start to open the door. Don't you open that door! Get out! girl right so that that's like shouldn't that be what the account says that adam's like don't do it girl don't don't you talk did you get that don't put it put it down i don't but what does he do nothing passive lets it happen hey whatever whatever (laughs) whatever and then when she turns and hands it to him he just okay, okay. Like like the 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 real the real sin here, and I don't want to get too theological, but the real sin here, I don't know that it's so much that that Adam disobeyed God and and ate that sin. Don't don't get me wrong, I'm not like hip, hypocritical or, or something, but, but it's this idea that he did nothing. Like he just gave away his responsibility. Like he was responsible for everything in that garden. Right? Those chipmunks and that giraffe and those trees and that woman that God made perfect for him. And, and he just was like, duh, okay. <laughs> the passive. Right? He just let it happen. It's interesting because even, even, oh man, I just, even if it was just a friendship relationship, let alone a marriage that was going, if it was just friends, like we use this phrase in our, in our culture, we say friends don't let friends and then depending on what you're into, you know, you finish that. Like if you're a firearm person, you're like, friends don't let friends buy high point. <laughs> or if you're a Chevy guy, you're like, friends don't let friends buy Ford. Yeah, so you know the, you know the deal, right? So, but like, like Adam, like he should have been like not letting. Like he should have been, no, what are we, come on. He's stepping in and uh, taking the bullet. And I don't know, if it was an action movie, he'd be, come, he'd be like running up there and tackling the fruit, whatever that was, and flying into the tree. And it'd be awesome. And all the guys would be like, yeah, right? But instead, Adam's just standing there. And I feel like in our culture too often, a lot of us guys are like, yeah. You just stand in there, passive. Now, now here's where it gets super interesting. That wasn't the interesting part. Here's where it gets super interesting. Check out verse 7, right? So, so they eat, and Adam's with her, and she just hands it, and he just jumps right in. And it says the eyes of both of them were open. The serpent didn't lie. Uh, were open, and they realized that they were naked. Don't get caught up on the naked. Get caught up on the shame part. All of a sudden, they have shame. So they sewed fig leaves together and tried to make coverings for themselves, which is like the silliest way on the planet to try and cover shame, and yet we do it all the time in our culture. Not that we wear clothes, we should wear clothes, but like there's all kinds of ways that we try to cover and mask our, our shame. This is a story of shame, not of nudity, but of shame. And it says they realized they're naked and they covered themselves and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That's a beautiful verse. This idea that God just like came down and was like, just walked through the garden apparently. So this perfect place that Adam and Eve were living in in a perfect way, in a perfect world, doing perfect things. They had this moment where Adam completely gives away responsibility and the whole paradigm has shifted and changed and yet God still comes down to walk with them and talk with them in the garden. And what do they do? And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Which you've ever had a five-year-old kid, you know that's super funny. Because like when little kids hide, they're all like, you can't see me, but you can see them, right? And so here's Adam and Eve, and they're like behind a bush. You can't see, and he's God. Okay, whatever. So they're hiding, and it says, but the Lord called to the man, where are you? Here's where I need us to do a little thinking together. Two people do something wrong. Who do you go after first? Just think for a second. 
Think about you, if you're a parent, maybe this is the easiest analogy. you got two kids, right, and they're downstairs. You hear them fighting and stuff, and so you come down the stairs, and there's one of two questions you ask first. Probably the first one might be, what are you doing? Right? And the second one, or maybe the first, who started it? Does this sound familiar? Maybe it's just my house. Right? So who started it? I mean, because whoever did the wrong first, that's who you're going to deal with first, right? And then maybe you'll work it down down the line or whatever. But that's who you go to first. Some of the kids are laughing because they're like, that's my dad, you know, <laughs> right? And, and, and so we have this situation where two people did something wrong. Who did the wrong thing first? Eve is the answer. Who did God come and talk to first? This is huge. I think this is huge. If I'm making more out of this than I should, I apologize, but I don't think that I, I think this is huge. I think this absolutely defines this concept of what it means to be a man and what it means to lead in the 21st century and, 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 and what that's supposed to. God came and talked to Adam first, man first. When it makes so much more sense, at least in my head, that he'd come down and be like, Eve, what did you do? Now, Adam, you should have been involved, or whatever, but he doesn't. He comes to man first, and he says, where are you? Why is that? That's the $25 million question. The answer to that question, I think, is what challenges us as men, and I'll give it to you. I think this is the answer right here, because ultimately, Adam was responsible for what happened in the garden. I think ultimately men are responsible. I think for whatever reason, God calls us and holds us into this concept of responsibility. Adam was very willing just to abdicate his God-given responsibility to lead over to his wife. It didn't go well for him or the rest of creation. For some reason, God puts a special responsibility into the DNA, the wiring, the lives of men to step up and lead. When I die... I will stand eyeball to eyeball with Jesus, literally. And when I die and stand eyeball to eyeball to Jesus, I tend to think one of his first questions for me is going to be, how did you deal with the family I gave you? How did you lead them? And that is not, hopefully, a a statement that should bring shame or guilt for past failure because that's like, we're wired for past failure and Jesus died for our past failure and we have all this ability in Christ. It's amazing, right? But it should inspire us, men, to step up and step in, to be responsible for the families that God gave us. If God comes to Adam first, when... Ladies, don't, don't kill me. Just hang with me. For, when, when Eve blows it, if God comes to Adam first, why would it be any different when I stand eyeball to eyeball with Jesus? Yeah, my, my ladies are responsible for their choices and their sin. And I, I, like, I get all that. But I think there is some kind of responsibility extra on my shoulders as husband and father and man. It's interesting because in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, Paul, the author of this, is talking to a a church that really doesn't have a clue how to exist in in its world because it wasn't a world that was very conducive for uh, new Christ followers. And so he's writing instructions on what it looks like to live as a follower of Christ, as as a disciple of Jesus, in in a culture that is heavily against that. And he says this in chapter 5, verse 21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. That's, we suck at that as Americans, just so I'm clear, and there's no, like, curiosity about what we think about. Like, we stink at that. Americans, we suck at submitting. Like, we don't, we don't submit to nobody, no how, ever, no way. Mm-mm, I'm out, we'll kill them, shoot them, destroy them. Awesome, okay? I, I get it. 
because I'm an American. I have similar problems. But this idea of submission, and then and then Paul goes on. He gets real specific in verse 22. He says, "Why submit to your um, uh, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord?" And then he gets to verse 25, and he says, "Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her." He's describing concepts of submission and what that looks like in the specific wiring. And then he goes on for the rest of chapter five and into chapter six, and some would argue through most of Ephesians and talks to the guys about what that looks like about what that picture is men there is this there's certainly this 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 challenge to ladies in terms of what it looks like to be a wife or a woman in the relationship but there's this larger deeper bigger challenge to the guys of what it means and he goes on and he describes this mandate men to step up and lead to engage like passivity is not an option. Dominance is not an option. It's this idea of, of what does it look like to be a man in our culture engaged in our world, in our families with our wives. It, it, Paul talks to a young pastor in 1 Timothy and he's talking about leadership in the church. And he says, he says, I want to talk about what this looks like. And he gets very specific with him, talking Paul, a man, talking to a man about what some leadership needs to look like in church, some leadership, not all leadership, talking about elders specifically. He says, the saying is trustworthy, First Timothy chapter 3. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, uh, an elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife. That's an interesting phrase. It literally means a one-woman man. And we could debate, does that mean that if a guy's divorced, he can never be an elder? Does that mean, I, I, we can debate that. I'm just saying the idea of putting all his passion and energy into the woman God's given him. Like it goes right back to Genesis 3. Right? If, if Adam were truly putting his energy and engagement and responsibility into the woman God gave him, I don't, I hate playing the what if game. You know, like, what if Eve had never eaten? What if Adam had done his job? I don't know. But imagine for a second if Adam had stepped in like he was supposed to, putting all his passion and energy and engagement into the wife that God gave him and said, no, let's not do this. And she's like, oh, thank you. I couldn't believe I was talking to a snake, right? And it was like amazing. And they had, never mind. And so it was wonderful, right? Some of you got that. And it just imagine what our lives would be today. Like, it's just insane. Right? So husband of one wife, one woman, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not coarsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. All dignity keeping his children submissive. For his, uh, if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Right? This idea... This common element of everything that, that, that I'm thinking in my head and that we're talking about this morning, I think we see it in Genesis 3 and we see it in Ephesians, we see it in Timothy, and I think we see it over and over and over again in the scriptures. There's this idea of men stepping up and taking responsibility. Not passive, not dominant, but taking responsibility. If nothing else this morning, guys, if, if I could just cause this question to bubble up into our brains, how have I taken responsibility for my family this last year? And what's my plan going into 2019? We've got a couple days left in this year, and then it's over. We don't even think about it again, but we're moving forward. Like, guys, what, am I, what does it look like for me to take responsibility for my family going into 2019? Now, Ladies, I didn't hear you cheering, but I could hear it in my mind's eye, the side of me that's incredibly feminine, because I live with three women. I could feel it in the room. Ladies are going, yes! Right? And I just want to say a hard truth, and the way I want to say this truth 
is by telling you a short story. Uh, last month, November, I was at a conference in Georgia called uh, Fatherhood Commission. Fatherhood Commission, a hundred of the top leaders that are doing anything in the country geared towards fathers are invited to be part of that, and I shystered my way in. And uh, it was interesting to listen to um, these these Christians. Some of them work in a Christian marketplace, but a lot of them work outside uh, Christian environments. So they're writing books, they're doing research for you know Head Start or whatever the organization or program might be. And so there's some Christian, they're, they're all Christ followers, but this is making sense. Okay, so I'm at this thing, Fatherhood Commission. There's a lot of guys, certainly, that are leading in the area of developing things for fathers, but there's a number of women as well that were there that had great input in their are at the, at the front leading edge of developing and thinking and helping and speaking into the lives of men to help men be uh, fathers. And so uh, uh, the, the, the conference, in case you care, was uh, built by the Kendrick brothers, the guys that did like Courageous and Fireproof and all that kind of stuff. And for a little aside, it was funny. They showed us the uh, rough cut of the newest movie, Overcomer. So we got to like weigh in on that, which was super funny. So anyways, whatever. So, so it's like that, that kind of conference. And so there was two, uh, a number of ladies there, but, but one spoke up during somebody else's presentation. Her name is Julie Baumgardner from First Things First, which is a leading nonprofit out of Tennessee dedicated to strengthening families. She stood up and she said this, the number one obstacle you'll face as a church to calling men to step up and lead is your women. And I, and I heard that and, and, and I thought, oh man, I'm glad she said it. <laughs> I mean, like, if, if a he said it, like death, right? But because she said, and I was like, that's so interesting to, to hear. And, and as I was just processing the thought, another gal got up and amened that. She was like, amen. I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to die. And, and her name's Michelle Watson. She's one of the leading authors, speakers, researchers on the importance of influence of fathers in the home. This is sort of a whole new field of research. There's not been a ton done, uh, frankly, uh, in years. But there, this has become like the big push now is um, what does a home with a dad and it look like? How is that influenced and those kinds of things? And so she's on the leading edge of that. She went on to talk about her re- how her research has shown. She's a researcher in a marketplace environment. It's not like necessarily Christian research, but but a marketplace environment that, um, that it's true that wives, women, ladies struggle to let men lead and effectively block this from happening too often. Now, a great question here would be to ask why, and I feel like that's a whole other sermon. <laughs> like that's that's complex. Um, and, and, and often there's reasons, like uh, understandable reasons, especially if uh, Adam <laughs> has cho- pa- chosen passivity so long and somehow the house has to operate, right? If there's no other option. So, I mean, I understand this world a, a bit, but it's interesting because I would think if we were to get that down to the core, for you guys that were with us through gospel fluency, if we fruit to rooted that, I think we'd end up back at Genesis 3, where those, those consequences for that sin is laid out. I think we'd see some of those pictures there of why it is that, that often... And Julie would be willing to say the number one obstacle facing your church calling men to step up and lead is your women is because of those components of that, that consequence, that, that, that curse. So the question, ladies, that, that I just leave you with this morning, are you willing to trust your man enough to let him lead? Hmm. Here's a better question. Are you willing to trust God enough in the life of your man <laughs> to let him lead, to take responsibility for your family? It's a huge question. And I've had this conversation with people, and I, and I understand the challenges and difficulties that come with that, especially for guys who have not done well in this area. And in no way am I somehow advocate, advocating um, a doormat type of life. I'm not advocating, you know, letting your guy spend all his money on gummy worms, and now, you know, you're going to go broke and live. But, but quite frankly, like, if... if, if um, and I'm thinking of my girls. So, like, hear this from a father's heart with daughters who I want the best 
for them. If, if, if they chose to let, the, if God has it for them to get married someday and that's the trajectory and, and they choose to let the guy lead and he makes some bad decisions, like what's the worst that's going to happen? Probably not going to get thrown out on the street. Nobody's going to die, <laughs> you know. Will it not be done the way, ma'am, you, you think it should be done? Yeah, probably. Is it done more difficult because sometimes dudes like to go the difficult way? Maybe, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> probably. Um, will he learn from it? Yeah, but at the end of the day, isn't the question really like, do you trust God enough to let guys lead? All right, coming back to the men. If you're already leading guys, like you're leading in the home, you're working on it, you're failing forward, like, boy, good job, smack on the butt, like uh, all that stuff, that's great. Like that's, that's so encouraging. And if you're not really doing that, like as I'm talking, you're like, ah, I wish you'd shut up because I feel really uncomfortable right now. Um, I hear you. Like I, I get that. And I would just, today would be the call. Right, hear that bugle call. Like time to jump in. Like, like, like the, uh, Paul writes this great says, "Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus." Like forgetting the failure, moving forward. Like guys, hear it as like a call to step up and jump in. Like it should be a brave heart moment. I'm not doing it, but it's like a moment where we're like for freedom, right? And guys are like. Thank you. I'm glad one guy's with me. I appreciate it. Right? Well, some like, like, I just want this to be a clarion call. Okay, last, last five minutes. This is what, because I don't have this figured out yet. Like, I'm just one of, I'm one of us, guys. I'm just on a journey, failing forward, hopefully, trying to figure out what does it mean to, to lead in a culture that doesn't encourage men to lead and doesn't really uh, value or prize that, and so we struggle with that. Here's, uh, here's a couple things that I'm trying to figure out that I'm working around. I, I know what it doesn't look like. <laughs> That's helpful, right, dudes? Like, if I know what it doesn't look like, and so maybe we can get something out of that, and I really wish this were a conversation around a table because you'd have better input than me and together we might learn something great and hopefully that's actually coming in March but I'll tell you more about that another time. Here's what I know it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like just giving everything over to the woman in your life. right? If you hear yourself saying the phrase, oh she's got everything covered you're probably just existing and that ought to pause you and you ought to go uh, <laughs> just for a moment like uh, just for a moment like we often make that joke, I just do what she tells me it's not funny because it's often too true. If, if you find yourself just letting it happen or checking out, that should be maybe a, a moment that causes like me to stand up and go, uh, yeah, yeah, I really don't have a clue. <laughs> I just sort of check out and everything sort of just happens around me. If, if you use the phrase a lot, and I, and I know we use it, we, we say happy wife, happy life. Right? And, and there's some truth to like, we want our, I want my wife to be happy. We want our wives to be happy. That's not, don't hear that as a knock. Use the phrase all you want to. But, but if you do that at the, at, at, at the cost of having to be passive so you don't rock the boat, like, that probably should cause you to, to step up and go, uh, maybe something, right? If you, uh, I, I wrote the word let her and then I wrote the word make her, take responsibility for everything, house, kids, travel, budget, whatever. That's not delegation. That's just lazy. Um, if your wife owns elements of life because she's better at it than you are, that's great. Like, my wife is better at lots of things, way better than I am. And so she owns stuff in our home that I would probably mess it up. But I still want to be engaged in that and kind of know what's going on. And I ask the question often, hey, how can I help? Like, what do you need me to do? She's all, stop buying firearms. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> that's kind of a joke. <laughs> um, and so we're engaged in that process, right? Um, uh, he, here's a big one. This was big at that conference too, by the way. Every presenter uh, used this phrase somehow that needs to end. And they said, assuming that because you provide all or a large por- portion of the income, you've done your job. 
that's like garbage. That's baseline. Like you providing the income, good for you. Whoop you do. Um, I don't want to make light of that too much, but that's base. Like that, that's sort of like base level expectation. Like getting up in the morning and rolling downstairs. Like you don't get participation awards for that, right, man? Right? If somehow that's your your thing. Well, I provide, and then my wife does everything else. That's not only um, lazy; it's dangerous. Right? If you provide a place to live, put food on the table, work so my kids can play sports, well, good for you. That's a very small part of what it means to lead or take responsibility in the home. Two, two words besides responsibility that I'd want to throw into our brain hoppers and just have them mix around as you walk out of here this morning going, I'm never listening to Chris again. Uh, uh, besides the word responsible are the words engaged and intentional. Responsible, engaged, intentional. I think it would be a mistake for anybody to, to, to be up here or wherever and tell you what it means for you to be a man in your home. That's offensive. <laughs> but I think we can talk about big key ideas like engaged, responsible, um, intentional. Right. So what does it look like maybe? I don't know, this is what I see in families that I watch where, where, where men are trying to figure out what it means to lead. I, I'd say this, set the tone in your family, emotionally, physically, and especially uh, spiritually. Take responsibility for that. Too, too often we, we hear, oh, my wife's got that covered. Oh, she does the spiritual stuff. What does that even mean, Adam? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Ah, honey, you talk to that serpent. You'll figure it out. I'll do whatever. Eat it? Okay, yeah, sure. Whatever. All right, set the tone spiritually in your home. You're like, family goes to church because you take them to church. You're connected to a life group because you think that's a healthy thing for you to be doing. You're praying together because you want to set the tone that prayer is important. You, you signed up for Night to Shine because you, man, said, hey, this is a cool event or some other event. Like, you serve because that's what you want to do. You bring up spiritual conversations with your wife or your kids about Jesus because you know that's important about, to, to talk about those things. You're not afraid to bring those up. You're not hoping your, your wife will do it or just waiting for her to do it. You, you do it. You, you initiate. Like you ask. Here's the cool thing about initiating conversations, by the way. This secret, this is just for the guys, ladies. Tune out for a minute, please. Uh, guys, like you just ask good questions. You don't even have to know the answer. It's like, great. You just ask really good questions. Like, hey, what's the weirdest thing you talked about at the lunch table today, daughter? And then you just, li- you just try and stay engaged, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's great. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, don't do that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you just ask great questions. You don't have to have the answer. You'd be like, hey, so I was reading this Adam and Eve thing, and why didn't, why, why didn't Adam jump in? Just ask the question on the way home or at lunch today. And like, you don't even have to know. It's so great. Like, to be initiative, just ask great questions. And then, okay. Uh, here, here's another thing I think, I think is a key, is, is engaging your family's world. Right, asking your wife how your day was and staying engaged in the conversation. Asking your kids what's the weirdest thing they talked about at the lunch table or a million other ways to ask kids great, great questions that don't start with, how was your day? So if you're a parent, you know, if you ask your kid, how was your day, what's the answer you get? Uh-huh, you know, all that? Uh-huh, <laughs> right? That's exactly what we get, right? But we ask a terrible question and so, or, or even worse, it's like, did you have a good day? Yeah. <laughs> right? So come up with a million weird questions to ask your kid. You're like, what was the stupidest thing one of your teachers said today? If you're a teacher, I apologize. But that's a great question in our home. <laughs> I just think it's super funny, right? right? If, if, if your kid goes to youth group, ask him the stupidest thing youth pastor said today. That's even greater, right? So ask great questions, right? Watch the stuff that they're watching, which means way too many Doctor Who episodes. Read what they're reading. Um, have another, this is my world, tea and toenail party. Oh my gosh, I don't want to paint toes or have tea ever again in my life, raising two daughters, right? But like, like engage in those 
things and love it. Right? Speak intentionally into your kids' lives. This idea of responsible, engaged, intentional. Speak intentionally into your kids' lives. I, I'm, I'm deep diving for a second and meddling. Um, so, men, be, be the man that talks to your kids about sex first. Do it early, do it often. If you advocate that over to your wife, that's lazy. Get in and talk about it. Yeah, I know. It's, I had daughters. I get it. It's uncomfortable. You're like, oh, if we had boys, I'll do the boys and you do the girls. And there's certainly conversations that mommies have with daughter because like it's, uh, <laughs> but, but there are conversations. Dad, like you, you are the only one who can have those. Now let me back that up. You are the best one to have those conversations with your daughters because if you let the world speak into that, <laughs> you, know, you know what that means when I do that? Like, you know what I mean, right? Like, oh man, it's, it's disaster. Right, speak that conversation early, right? Start the conversations. Don't just wait for them to happen. Talk about everything from boys to bullying, adulting, and everything in between. Don't just expect your wife to do it. Fathers, lead in raising your kids. Don't abdicate that all to your wife. She's going to do a great job. She's going to be exactly what God has created the relationship to be. But guys, be intentional, engaged in it. Man, it's not easy. But you can do this. We can do this. Like we were, it's what we were created for. It's what we're wired for. It's so fascinating. The guys that can tear an engine apart and put it back together in like eight minutes, right? Maybe are sometimes the same guys that are like, oh, I could never talk to my kid about, oh, I just, whatever, happy wife, happy life. My gosh, you take an engine apart for crying out loud. It's amazing. Right? These guys that are on the front lines of battle, right? They put a, an M4 in your chest and you rush out to like take on the entire army. It's amazing. Guys, we're wired to lead. We're wired to take responsibility. When we lean towards not, that's just that curse playing out. It's exactly what Adam did. Let me, let me step aside for a second and just a special shout out to, to blended families. If you're a dad uh, in a blended family, like you've taken on, you've taken on more. Like this, you're uh, like, like, I mean that. Not patronizing at all. Like, blended family dads, it's amazing because you didn't necessarily get to grow up with those kids. Like, I got to grow up with my kids, so, like, I just kept screwing them up along the way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but, but you stepped into a fully formed, that's amazing, blended families. I, I just appreciate what you're doing as a dad, and you can do this. Like, blended family dads, co-parenting, step-parenting, whatever that looks like in your world, double honor on you. Your role is hard, but if you've chosen that role, if you've chosen that role, if you've chosen that role, like God's going to equip you to do that. Yeah, 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 it's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. You're going to do all the things guys need to do to sometimes let off steam and all that. But at the same time, man, it's an amazing thing. Good job, blended family dads. All right, ladies, here's, here's it. If you tuned out, come back to me. Uh, let your man lead. Give him permission to fail. Trust him enough, or better yet, trust God enough to let your man take responsibility. Have those, make those be the focus of your debates and fights and struggles and churns and trying to figure out what does this look like in our world. Men, I want to give you permission to bless you, to call you to step up and lead in your family, in your church, your neighborhood, your communities. Your family is the way it is because you've allowed it to be that way. What went down in the Garden of Eden went down because Adam allowed it to be that way. God wants to bless your family, wants to bless my family, and for whatever reason, God wants to do that through you, man, through you. And so I just want to challenge me. <laughs> I want to challenge us. We just step up into those roles, responsible, engaged, and intentional. So I'm just going to pray for us. The band will come out. We'll finish with a song, and we'll be done for this morning. And I don't think the right word is hypocrite, Jesus, but I feel like somebody else probably should be preaching this. 
somebody who's got it all figured out. And then I say that, and I think, yeah, who's that? I mean, who's got that all figured out? You do, Jesus. That's about it. The rest of us are just guys on a journey failing forward and trying to figure it out. And, and so, God, thank you that, that we have an environment where we can talk about this. Jesus, if I've said things that are offensive this morning, you know that's not my heart, and I pray that you would just use the Spirit to cover those offenses. And at the same time, God, if I've, if I've churned myself and pricked my own heart and pricked the hearts of guys in here uh, to step up and to own the responsibility you've called us to, then that's also your spirit. And so, God, thank you for that. And I would pray that in a church like North Point that has so many men sitting in pews, it's a good thing. God, that we would just we would change the face of our culture and our nation, our churches and our families because of our desire to lead. Not to be dominant and dumb and not to be passive, but to, to be the men you've called us to be. And I don't know what that looks like in all the families here. I, I'm just trying to figure out my own. But God, you do. And that's the cool thing. The power of your son, the power of the Holy Spirit. God, you give us strategy and specificity and and key things that we can do in our home going home today even just starting the conversation oh my gosh how scary this is to ask the wife how am i doing god that you would help us be men who are man enough to ask those hard questions to make the changes to tweak the trajectories that we might just be men who love you passionately and love the families you've given us so that one day when we stand before you eyeball to eyeball and you look us in the eye and you go hey how'd you do with the family you gave us and you say man I gave it my all did everything I could and we get to hear from you well done good and faithful servant I so love what you did with the family I gave you Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that we know you. I don't know how you do this. I don't know how you be a man in this world without knowing you and having some sense of what it means. And so for this morning, Jesus, I would just pray your spirit would push into our hearts and that God, you would speak louder, louder than my words into us the thing that you would have us know the thing that you would have us walking out. And even as we sing this last song, Jesus, that that just might be a a beginning of our brain thinking about what it looks like. So maybe this morning was encouraging, maybe this morning was challenging. Either way, God, you'd be honored in it. We love you. Amen.